0: You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. The bell rang, um, the doors were closed, the teacher was just kind of starting to settle us down, and all of a sudden, this horrendous smell started to waft through the air. Um, Maybe you've been in an environment like that. Um, And it's a common smell that you would recognize and be familiar with, but it seemed... Like worse, and I think because we were stuffed into this room full of junior hires, um, and that kind of escalated the intensity of the smell. Um, And if you're wondering, it was the smell of dog excrement. All right, Um, that's as nice and polished as I could put it. Um, Kids, you can ask your parents later what that means. Um, Parents, you're welcome. Um, But anyways, we were all trying to figure out like where's the smell coming from, right? Like it's just nasty, it's stuffy, and it's Um, You know, we're already just junior hires, which makes things worse. No offense, junior hires. Um, But we're trying to figure this out. And so obviously we start thinking it's probably on someone's shoe. And so we're looking and trying to figure out, like, who stepped in it, you know. And um, to my horror, I (laughs) I looked at my shoes and it was me. And, and needless to say, I was humiliated. <laughs> I quickly excused myself to take care of the problem before people could know it was me. I think people kind of caught on um, as I left, the smell left. But anyways, um, it just so happened that that morning I had decided I'm gonna take this shortcut through my friend's yard. You know, that'll get me to school faster, right? Um, unfortunately, I didn't uh, look where I was walking though. And, and uh, I learned a valuable lesson that day, to always um, look carefully while you're walking, especially when you're walking through a yard. Um, And this is kind of the metaphor that Paul is using here. Obviously not um, as absurd as that story, but um, the metaphor of just looking carefully. Um, Verse 15, he says, look carefully then how you walk. What are you saying? He's saying paying attention, right? Be careful um, in that when you're walking, um, you're paying attention. Okay, And he's going to use the, the word walk here um, in a much greater way than I'm using the word walk in that story. And mine was a physical illustration. But he's talking about our spiritual lives and, and our lives in general. That we would live lives that we're careful. That we are aware um, that, that we are in a battle. That there is an enemy. That there are people watching the way we live our lives. And you may have noticed that the word walk is one of Paul's favorite metaphors, it seems, in the last several weeks um, in Ephesians here. Um, he said, Walk worthy. And in chapter 4 verse 1 he said no longer walk as the Gentiles do in 4.17. He said walk in love in one, And he said walk as children of light in 5 verse 8. But this is actually the last time he'll use that metaphor in the book. And he's challenged us here to walk carefully. To walk carefully. He's saying in light of the fact that you're a new creation in Christ. In light of the fact that you are a child of God. That he is your father. In light of the fact that the spirit indwells you now. Walk carefully. Walk worthy. Realize the honor to be called a child of God. To walk through this life as a child of God. That he loves you with an inseparable love. And that your life ought to reflect that. So walk carefully. And I want to remind you again, if you're watching online or if you're here with us, that this is for believers. Okay, so he's not saying walk carefully and maybe God will love you. He's saying believers, God loves you, so walk carefully in light of that. And if you're watching and, and you've never trusted Christ, you've never become a child of God, can I plead with you today to call out to him for salvation? The message, is the offer is free to all. And, and as preachers often say, I'm just one beggar trying to tell another beggar where you can find bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He can satisfy your soul. And so if you're here today or you're watching and you've never had a time where you've recognized your sin and, it, and your separation from God. And, you never, and you've never gone to God and called out and believed that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. And you've never said, God, would you save me? Today you can do that. You don't even have to wait till the end. You can do it right now in your heart. Say, Father, would you save me? I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he rose again. Would you save me? Would you bring me into a a relationship with yourself? And promise, and you'll be promised an eternal home in heaven one day. But with that in mind, those of us who are believers who have trusted Christ, now he's saying this is how you ought to live. And he's going to explain what it looks like to walk carefully with three descriptions. He's going to say walk in wisdom, walk in understanding, and then walk in the spirit. And so let's look, first of all, at walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Verse 15, he says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So here he uses a negative, not as unwise, and a positive, but as wise, and then an example, making the best use of the time. That's a simple way to see it. Um, Merkel explains it this way, walking with wisdom means taking full advantage of every opportunity that comes our way. It is not enough to sit back and merely try to avoid evil. Believers must positively seek to use the gifts and graces given to them in a way that helps to further God's kingdom, taking advantage of every occasion. Why? Because the days are evil. And so a lot of times people have a mindset of Christianity as we kind of just got to hunker down and we got to stick together and we got to get through it and life is really hard and and let's just get through it and wait for Jesus to come back. But what he's saying here is no, no, Instead, I want you as the light to push back the darkness, to give people hope, to show people love, to show people grace, to point people to Jesus with your lives. That's what he's saying. Um, Walk in wisdom. And as Christians, our lives ought to be characterized by wisdom because we have a personal relationship with the one who set everything up. Right? Like if, if you get that furniture at Ikea... Um, and it's got like a thousand parts, and you're looking at it, and you're like, how do I, what, what do I do? Where do you go? You go to the manual, right? And you look at the guy who designed it, and you figure it out. Unless you're um, a typical male, and you just slap it together, and there's a ton of extra parts. Um, and you're like, oh, that's good, you know? And, and so I'm not going to read the manual. Um, but, right, if we want to know how something works, I'm seeing some wives looking at some husbands here, okay? Um, if we want to know how something works, we go to the designer, Right? And he designed everything and he wrote in his word how that happened. And so as Christians, if we have a relationship with the designer, we ought to be people who are characterized by wisdom. Like we know God. He's our father. He's given us a book that gives us direction for every area of life. And so our lives ought to be characterized by wisdom. We are people of the book. And so let me give you three quick practical ways to grow in your wisdom. All right. I, didn't, I don't normally give you um, three points and then three sub-points, but there's a lot of sub-points today. And so you can write these down if you want or just hear this. It's pretty simple. Um, but first of all, pray for wisdom every day. In James 1.5, the Bible says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Well, that's pretty cool. So if you lack wisdom, you go to God, the designer, and say, God, would you give me wisdom? And can I just say, that is something that I was actually challenged. Actually, it was at Kat's um, college graduation, the speaker. um, I don't know how many years ago that was. The speaker said, I want to challenge you um, to pray for wisdom every day. And I started doing that. And and I've been doing that ever since. Um, And and I noticed, like I started to notice the difference in just my daily interactions. The wisdom given to me from God that that I didn't didn't possess, that I didn't come up with or muster up um, as some intelligent thing. God gives wisdom to those who ask. So first of all, pray for wisdom. Just add it to your daily prayer list. Pray for wisdom in my marriage, wisdom in my parenting, wisdom in my interaction with coworkers, wisdom in how I can share the gospel with others, wisdom in how I can make the most of every opportunity, as Paul says here. Number two, saturate your heart and mind with scripture. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. I want you to think about this. Everything that you believe or the ways that you think um, didn't originate with you. It came from somewhere. Some, somebody taught you um, to think that way. And, and I say this a lot, that we are actually being discipled by our culture. We're being discipled by the music we listen to, by the TV that we watch, by, by the friends we interact with. And so the way you think um, was not something that you consciously decided, I'm going to think this way. Oftentimes, it, it, was, it was shaped by other influences in your life. And so what Paul is saying here is, because of that, there's this constant pressure to be conformed into a way of thinking. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't think like the world. Don't be put into its mold. Instead, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And can I just say, there is an enemy out there, and he does have an agenda. And so as Christians, we actually do kind of believe in conspiracy theories. I don't, want to, I don't want to get too far into that. But we do believe there is one conspiracy and it's anti-God and it's the primary message that's out there. And so as we're filtering all this information, we, we don't want to be conformed by the world. We want to be transformed by the word. And so every day, and yes, me as well, as a pastor, I need this. I can start to think in ways um, in, in this church, for instance. I can start to think in ways like a business owner. Well, if we do this and plug this in and this will work, and then this is how we'll get results. But no, we're desperate for God's power for anything to happen of eternal value here, right? And so I've got to constantly go to the Word and saturate my heart and mind. We've got to read, we've got to study, memorize and meditate on the Word. And then one practical um, last step, I said three, is to read a proverb a day for the next month. And you could just make that a a regular thing. There are 31 proverbs. There are 31 days in a month. And it says this, this is why Proverbs is written. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing. That's Proverbs 1 2. That's awesome. So, he literally wrote the book to help us with wisdom. And if you're going through our five day plan, you're getting towards the end of Proverbs right now, which is pretty cool. All right, I thought that was cool how it lined up with our text for today. And so, as Christians, we ought to be characterized by wisdom. You may not think I'm a, you may not picture yourself as a very wise person, um, but as Christians, we ought to be. We ought to be wise, slow to speak, um, and, and quick to listen, and just walking with wisdom and, and making the, the, the best use of every opportunity that we have, all right? And so we walk in wisdom. That's the first way we walk carefully, okay? So go back to that analogy. We're paying attention to the way that we're walking, the way that we're living, and first of all, we're walking in wisdom. Secondly, we're walking in understanding. Verse 17, he says, therefore, do not be foolish. Thanks, Paul, Right? <laughs> Like, you'd think that's an obvious command, but it's like, hey, can I just add, don't be foolish, you know? But instead, understand the will of the Lord, okay? And so what is he doing here? He's, again, using a negative and a positive. So he said, don't be unwise, be wise. Don't be foolish, but instead, know God's will. Now, I say this a lot, but it's very common um, for us to treat the will of God as some cosmic Easter egg hunt, right? Where we're just kind of like... We're walking this way and God's like warmer, warmer, warmer. And then it's just, oh, no, I messed up. I didn't, uh, I didn't take the right job and now my whole life's ruined. Like, no, it's not like that, okay? In fact, when you look at the will of God, it's actually clearly stated several times in the Bible. Let me give you a few examples. Well, and, and also you should know that the will of God, it's, it's always, almost always about our character first before it's about specific actions and specific decisions that we make. Why? Because if we are the right type of people, then we will make the right decisions. And I want you to think about this. How often do you consciously make decisions compared to how often you just do things without thinking? And, and we tend to do out of who we are. Our character flows out into our decisions. And so what, when God is dealing with, our, with his will for our lives, like, oh, the will of God, like, just write it in the sky. No, like it's in the word. And so let me give you a few examples. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God. There you go. Awesome. What is it? Tell us your sanctification. Oh, that doesn't sound that cool. Right? Well, what's that? That's growing in holiness. That's growing in Christ-likeness. That's, that's becoming more and more like Jesus. Why? Because as we do that, as we are set apart, as we are made more holy, we start to make decisions in line with God's will. Romans 8, 27 through 29, says the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There's our phrase. And we know That for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so what is he saying here? He's saying that God's will, in this passage very clearly it says, that we are to be conformed into the image of Jesus. And so God is using everything in our lives to shape us and to mold us, to make us more and more like Jesus. And as we're more and more like Jesus, we are living more and more in line with God's will for our lives. And and I want you to know this. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said this, that he has learned to kiss the wave that crashes crashes him into the rock of ages. I want you to think about that. As things in our life push us closer to God, and, and we don't like them, we don't like the trials, we don't like the hard times, but often that's exactly what God is using to shape us into his image. Um, and and I've, I've heard so many awesome illustrations that we could share with this, but I want you to know this, no matter what you go through this week, or next week, or the next week, no matter how crazy it seems, how hard it is, how unbearable it feels, our Father has promised that it will work together for your good. He's not hoping that it will he's promised that it will so bank on that. That's how we get through this world as Christians to know that our father is in absolute control of all things and he never ordains evil. He he never causes evil to happen in our lives, but he does allow it into our lives and he uses it for his purposes, for your good and for his glory. What an amazing truth. And so when we walk in understanding, we are walking in a way that is in line with God's will for our lives. And so you may be thinking, well, that's cool, but I do want to know God's will for my job and for my spouse and for for college and for all these other questions that I have. So how do I figure that out? Well, I've illustrated this before um, with the story that when I was a kid, I first started going hunting with my dad. Um, we would go out into the woods beforehand, and we would kind of map out where we we're gonna hunt. We would put up a stand, and we get everything ready. Um, but in the dark, the woods look a lot different than in the light. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it's like I don't think I've ever been here before, right? Like um, you're in the dark, and it's kind of scary. And I remember um, in the morning, we were really, really early. It was the first day. I was gonna go hunting by myself, and my dad took me to the edge of the woods, and he said, "All right, son, your stand's right there." And then he just took off. Like he didn't even say, "Like do you know? Like are you good?" Like no. He just he's like, "I'm going to my stand, right?" And so I'm just standing there in the dark. I have no idea where I am. I know I was there the day before, but I have no idea where I am. But, but my dad pointed me in the right direction. He gave me a flashlight and he said, just head that way. Now, if I had stood there and said, okay, I'm going to shine my light through the leaves and the trees until I see my stand and then I'll start walking. I never would have got to my stand. What did I have to do? I had to take a step with the light that I had. And as I took a step, wow, look, more light shined. And that's how it is with God's will. He's given us some light. He's pointed us in the right direction. And as we step into the light he's given us, more light shines. And he helps us make decisions in specific areas. And so we step in the light that we have and God gives us more light when it comes to his will. Alright? And so we go to the word to walk in understanding. And there's so many um, things that we tend to go to instead. And we tend to go to our own wisdom or our own intellect when the Bible says lean not onto your own understanding. Um, Sometimes we hear the phrase, follow your heart. That's kind of popular in our culture. Um, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Deceitful and desperately sick. Not exactly the description you'd want on your uh, resumes uh, on the counselor's resume, right? Like, all right, I'm going to get some help. Okay, I just want you to know I'm deceitful and desperately sick, but all right, here's, here's what you ought to do. like, oh, no, we don't want to follow that. And so, so we don't lean on our own understanding. We don't try to figure things out on our own as Christians. We go to the Word. We walk in wisdom. We walk in understanding. We say, God, what is your will in this area? Um, how should I interact with this coworker? How should I um, decide whether or not to take this job? Give me wisdom in this area. Help for me to be in line with your Word and have understanding. That, that's the idea. Alright, and so we pray for wisdom. We search the scriptures. We, we can get counsel from others. The Bible says that's good, to get counsel from other believers. Um, we can, but we want to seek God's glory and the good of others when it comes to His will. Alright, so we walk in wisdom. We walk in understanding. And thirdly, we walk in the Spirit. Verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So again, Paul uses a negative and a positive. He says negatively, don't get drunk with wine. All right. We shouldn't be under the influence of alcohol. Why? Because that is debauchery. Or to define that for you, behavior which shows a lack of concern or thought for the consequences of an action, right? Famous last words, hold my beer, right? Good things don't happen when that when that's the last word, right? Um, and, and so what Paul is saying very very clearly here is that it's not wise, it's not understanding, it's not walking carefully to be drunk with wine as a Christian. Because that's controlling your thoughts and your actions. And so I'm sorry for ruining your Father's Day, fathers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I remember the first uh, time I preached on alcohol as a new church. Um, we did a series called Ask the Pastor. Ask anything or something like that. And um, I was like, alright, well the Bible doesn't say you can't drink alcohol. It just says you can't get drunk. And so you know, I'm just going to preach what the Bible says. And that day we had like a record crowd. It was like 65 people. And we had some really like strict Baptist with like really nice suit and ties, like sitting on the front row. He was like a missionary, and he was like visiting your church, brother. And I'm like, oh man, here we go, (laughs) right? But but we shouldn't, as Christians, we ought not be filled or drunk with wine because that is debauchery, right? That leads to actions that are not wise. They're not understanding. They're not in line with God's will. Instead, positively, we should be filled with the Spirit. And and I love this. The Greek word here actually indicates a regular pattern of life. Not a one-time filling. So this isn't like, all right, I'm going to go to the gas station, get filled and I'm good. Like it's, it actually is kind of like the gas station being filled regularly. Um, and because you will need the spirit every day. All right. And so you could say it this way, be being filled with the spirit. I love that. Be being filled. Make that a regular pattern of your life that you would be filled with the spirit. Okay, so just as alcohol affects the thoughts and words and actions of a drunk person, the Holy Spirit ought to be the one who affects the thoughts and words and actions of a saved person. That's the example Paul is using. And then he describes what happens when we're filled. So what does it look like for us to be filled? Do we like kind of float in the air and like make chants? Like do we do miracles? Like no, here's what happens. Okay, four examples. One, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So, this has the idea of edifying others through singing in corporate worship. Josh talked about that a few weeks ago when you first came back. It was like so great to have other believers singing God's praises here instead of just me in the back, right? Like, yes, Jesus, right? Like, just me by myself. Like, no, it's good to have other people here. And as we sing, we're not just singing to the Lord, we're actually singing to one another. And we're actually hearing one another sing. One of you mentioned this past week how um, encouraged you've been by having Kat and Shannon up on the stage singing. Because it just adds to it. And we're singing to one another. um, And that's what happens when we're filled with the Spirit. But not only that, number two, it says singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So very similar to the first example, but it has the idea of Upward. And so rather than horizontal um, being filled, it's got a vertical aspect to it. Blessing the Lord in our singing. So we are singing to him ultimately. And then number three, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about this a little bit last week. How imagine what would happen in your life if you were just thankful for everything. Like what kind of amazing person would you be to be around? How does that, how do you thank God for trials? How do you thank God for difficult times? Be filled with the Spirit. And as we're filled with the Spirit, he cultivates within us an attitude of thanksgiving, an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of seeing all things as, as a gift from God, and even the bad things, going back to Romans 8 and saying, you know what, I don't want to go through this, but you're my Father and you've promised you're going to work this for my good. And so I'm going to thank you for this. That's a result of being filled with the Spirit. And then number four, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so our reverential awe towards Christ ought to impact our attitudes and actions towards one another. I've said this so many times, but I think many Christians struggle um, with walking with the Lord and with staying faithful and with growing because they're trying to do it in their own strength. I want you to imagine you, you stop by the church this past week and you come in. And, and you find me in here, and I'm just so frustrated, and, and, I, and, and I'm running around with the vacuum, trying to vacuum the floor, but it's not plugged in. Like, what would you tell me there? Like, first of all, like, we should probably get a new pastor, right? Like, that, that's probably the first thing. Um, but secondly, you might be like, hey, you know, you know, you can plug that in, right? Like, you've got, like, this power source that'll actually help you, right? That's what it looks like when we try to live the Christian life in our own power where well, we're running around and we're frustrated and we're not sure why our marriage isn't working and our parenting isn't working and, and we're not sure why we're not having a good influence on others and we're not sure why we're constantly short and, and losing our temper and not thankful. And, and why? Because we're not plugged into the power. We're not allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us. And similar to the will of God, being filled with the Spirit has somewhat been mystified in our culture. And so we think, okay, i got to get alone. Uh, maybe like drizzle some oil on my head cross my legs and and, and hum a chant and maybe no like that's not what happens right and in fact let me read for you a a passage in Colossians 3 (sighs) listen to the similarities here he says let the word of Christ dwell in you richly okay cool what happens when the word of Christ is dwelling in us richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord do you notice a similarity there These verses talk about singing and thankfulness, similar to what we just talked about. This passage says, be filled with the Spirit, and that will happen. That passage says, be filled with the Word, and that happens. So, is that a contradiction? No. Who wrote the Word? The Spirit. And if His words are filling our hearts and minds, and we're relying on Him to empower us to obey those words, we're filled with the Spirit. And so we don't get alone and empty our heads and cross our legs and hum a chant, right? We get in the Word. And we have the word fill us and we say, God, would you empower me to live this out? That's what it means to be filled with the spirit. And so as we wrap this up, I want to ask you some questions for application. On that first point, are you walking in wisdom? Is your life characterized by the wisdom that is found only in God's word? A wisdom that compels you to make the most of every opportunity, knowing knowing that the days are evil. And in the, in the evil days, in the darkness, we need to be light that shines with wisdom. Next, are you walking with understanding? Do you know what God's will is for your life and are you seeking to obey it? Are you spending enough time in the word to where you know what God's will is? You know how you ought to respond to this situation. You are the type of person that makes decisions in line with God's will. Are you walking with understanding? And lastly, are you walking in the spirit? Or are you running around like a vacuum that's unplugged? Constantly frustrated in your Christian life Be filled be empowered be enabled God can use you to Transform the world if you will give if you will let him empower you All right, I used a a humorous illustration at the beginning when I talked about the dog excrement and Sorry parents. I reminded your children of it just as they were starting to forget and so they'll ask you about that in the car later Uh, but as I was giving that humorous illustration um, you know, it, it seemed kind of silly and it seemed kind of cavalier and casual, but I want you to know that in the Christian life, it's of utmost importance that we walk carefully. It, it really is not something that, that we just kind of joke about and laugh about. It really is serious. Why? Because, first of all, there's an enemy out there who wants to destroy you, he wants to tear your marriage apart. He wants to ruin your home. He wants to deceive you. He wants to take your eyes off Christ. He wants to separate you from the church. He wants to damage our testimony in the world. He wants to destroy us. He's, seeking, he's walking about seeking whom you may devour, the Bible says. And so we need to be careful. Right? Like where am I walking? Like, am I walking carefully knowing there's an enemy out there? But not only that, there are unbelievers out there who are watching us. We need to be careful in the way we live our lives. Because unbelieving family members and friends and coworkers are looking at our lives a lot of times and deciding whether or not they want to follow Jesus. That's weighty. You've heard it said that you may be the only Bible someone ever reads. Gandhi said this, I want you to hear this, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians, your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Let that not be said of us in Port Austin. Where we live, where we work, where we play, we ought to be like Christ. With the love and the humility and the gentleness and the, and the wisdom and the understanding and the, and the empowerment of the Spirit. That's how our lives ought to look. And this is why Paul is so concerned with our walk in Ephesians. Because he knows that our lives and actions are a reflection on our Savior. So rather than just end with this one passage, I want you to think about um, chapter 4 and 5 as a whole. Because he's been saying, walk, 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 walk. He's saying over and over and over again. And and I want to challenge you with this question. I think the first one sums it up. Are you walking worthy? Maybe read through chapter 4 and 5 again this week and say, am I walking worthy? Am I walking in love? Am I walking in the light? Am I walking carefully? Am I paying attention to the way I live my life as a reflection to those around me? Does the life that you're living reflect positively on your Lord? Remember, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are here to spread a passion for the glory of Jesus. But if our life doesn't line up with what we say we believe, our witness is damaged. So are you walking worthy? Does your life reflect positively on your Lord? I want you to hear this again. God has loved you since eternity past. He chose you as his own. He sent his son to die for your sins and reconcile you to himself. He indwells and empowers you by his spirit and he has a future prepared for you that is better than you could ever imagine. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called.